Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Jay Yang. He is the founder of Tassin. Uh, you can go check them out at tassin.com. They're a decentralized exchange that is cross-chain. Uh, really excited to talk about this, and also the fact that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the fact that uh, one of your first hires was a knowledge management hire, an archivist. Really interested to learn about that because I am now a uh, knowledge management professional, and uh, I have had a hard time understanding why company or like most companies don't seem to have a dedicated knowledge management, even though it seems so important now that I'm actually like thinking about it. Uh, so welcome to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, thank thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's really ex- exciting to talk about it. Actually, yeah. Uh, archivist, how did that, how did you come up with a term archivist? Well, so in my previous roles, I, you know, I, I worked for five different, uh, startups before, and it's always like the early history of startups is kind of in this like mythical, you know, um, range where things just disappear or like people have different stories about why certain things were done, um, you know, accounts of events. So I, I figured, you know what, I think um, something like akin to librarian, but librarian just organizes things that are already there. Um, or, you know, so I, I figured, okay, well, we have lots of documents that are being generated, whether it's, you know, um, decisions made in the meetings, meeting notes and all that stuff. And this was when like AI wasn't a thing or auto summarization wasn't really up to the uh, challenge. And so I figured, okay, I think we actually need a full-time archivist to help us organize info because we will be generating a lot of them and we're treading a lot of unknown ground. So we really need to understand like, why did we do this? Why did we say these things? Uh, that's yeah, really so interesting. That's a, yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because after a few weeks on the role, I realized that the biggest kind of knowledge management role is uh, decision support. So understanding the current state of the company, understanding how that maps with the previous state of the company and mapping that against the future of the company. And then also transferring information uh, in it, between different layers of the company, so vertical, vertical as well, and horizontal. Uh, so it's really interesting right. that you guys nailed this decision support from the very beginning. Because my understanding was that knowledge management only becomes important once you're probably over 150 people. But you guys are like, how, how many people do you have now? Um, right now we have 26, but um, the archival uh, hire was actually the third. Um, person on the team, other than other than me, so very early. And uh, was it was it the right decision? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, so there are, there were other things uh, that <clears throat> I was very keen on. So things like <clears throat> um, knowledge vis- visibility across different security levels. So like, um, what I noticed from previous startups is that everything was either accessible to everyone or they were accessible to no one and then you have to give like access by level uh, by, by document like per per document and so it made a uh, knowledge discovery <laughs> enormously costly and annoying process 
sometimes like multiple days just because like you know you have these things that need to give it access to some people say you can't access it or whatever and so like one of the things that i started out at a very early stage and there's actually a blog of this um out there is to set on <clears throat> um security level for uh and, and classifying how should documents and uh you know uh letters and things like that should be classified so we start with i'm, I'm sorry i'm jumping into a boring topic but, no it's uh, not boring for uh, me but uh and i hope it's not boring to my audience but uh awesome awesome <laughs> so we start with uh zero zero for public which is like you know it's visible to the entire team and it should be also can be made visible to outside world like things like pr releases or whatever and then we have zero one internal which is visible to the entire team no matter what different teams you are in. So if you're engineering, marketing, you should be able to see internal. So things like um, internal policy and you know things of the nature. And then we have security level two, which is team. And that's for a particular team like <clears throat> engineering or marketing or sales or whatever. Um, and then the three is uh, security level three is sensitive. It's for things that should be in that particular team or things that are at a level of decision making at a like leadership level that needs to be protected somehow uh, and you only give you know access to senior leaders um, and then we have zero four secret um which <laughs> yeah there's nothing there uh, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 so on and so forth so uh, so I, I i you know this was something that i had to think a little bit hard about to kind of like okay fine let's make a simple level um uh, so that it can either be you know, information can either be just put into the folder and it would be easy to understand like what the different access levels are. There's often case like the files are just everywhere and we have no idea who has access to what um, as opposed to folder, folder level permission, it's easy. Um, and then that also worked, worked very well for things like um, like wikis, like internal wikis where we create, you know, access control based on like, you know, uh, these security uh, classifications that I, I uh, designed and that worked out fairly well. In fact, we uh, still even use it. Um, I know it's like a taboo to talk about internal, <laughs> you know, control policies uh, because it's like, oh, you know, like you're leaking info. But I mean, I, I think other people could find something like this useful. Of course, like, you know, maybe not as paranoid as the, way, the levels that I've set, but something where you, you have pre like a, you basically go from, widely accessible to more restricted mm. uh, by either function or team. And that turned out to work very well. Where it doesn't work well, well, uh, where it doesn't work well is when you have like cross-functional teams where like product needs to look at, you know, um, marketing or vice versa or something like that. Um, but those are, those are something that like we can then just create a separate, like, you know, collaborative environment for, you know, and then have a different classification for it. Like, zero to team for, you know, product and marketing or something. Yeah. It's really interesting. And something specifically that I'm, that I'm trying to develop for our company as well. Cause we, we went mm -hmm. from very, very transparent and now as we're growing, it's just like, you can't be that transparent. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we have to develop a similar thing. So that's really helpful for, for me to yeah. understand. Um, and yeah, one of the craziest things I found out is that you know, we as consumers have this thing called Google, which makes it really mm -hmm. easy to find whatever we look for. And we have this expectation that it's going to be the same inside of a company. And it turns out it's almost <laughs> the exact opposite where you can't find anything. Oh, oh boy. 
uh, and uh, and so there's a couple different people who are trying to solve this. Uh, Dashworks is one of them. Uh, Glean is another one. People are really trying to develop a new intranet. Um, and actually, you're involved with Urbit, and I was just thinking about maybe getting uh, influencing my team to actually start to think about putting it all on Urbit because Urbit might be a oh. good solution long term for this this issue. What do you think? Um. So business suite of software. Okay, I'm a big Urbit booster. I love Urbit. I use it every day. But I have to be honest. Yeah. Like the from a business suite of software available uh, for particular knowledge discovery. I think Urbit is not there yet not because there yet. application. Like so, for example, like you know, like Notion or Wiki. Like you can actually search for things, a document, you know, content, you uh, and all of that stuff. But I don't think like. You know the uh, there's a Orbit app developer that has created something that is specifically designed for knowledge management like this, um, and it's a hard space because well everybody has different expectations of how to control knowledge in the first place, and uh, and then you know the access control is also like lasting on most people's mind. Yeah. Um. So like when you're talking about like Wiki, like we use WikiJS, um, and we self-host, but even then there were some like janky like permission related thing that we can't really do uh that the features don't exist um and so you know i i think urbit is like you can get there very quickly someone just have to pick up the pick up the uh you know <laughs> um the baton pick yeah. up the uh the, yeah the need and then just like write software for it uh but it's just it um and and it has a really good uh like infrastructure level support like for example, uh, you know, like uh, distributed systems, high availability if you want it to be, and all that stuff that is possible through like what Urbit allows. But yeah. just the app that you know even indexes the you know textual context and then able to even just search raw text just doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, interesting. So the search function, yeah, on yeah. Urbit is is kind of a mess right now. So it would be uh, heightening well, yeah. the problem. Uh, so did you move from Notion to Wiki.js? Yeah, so we were using Notion. And at the time, Notion had this very permissive, you know, access control where, like, for example, if we wanted to create a um, uh, sort of like, you know, page that was restricted that, you know, it was early days of Notion where you couldn't really like restrict it to a group. Uh, and they had like a security feature that was like premium feature. Even when we signed up for it, it, would, it didn't give us all the tools. Um, and then moving sort of like similar information into like say um, a data room for investors because we had we were doing fundraising. Um, you know, we couldn't prevent certain actions from happening with the information that's in those uh, like yeah. even the cordoned off sections of um, you know Notion. Um, I haven't used it in a while, so maybe it has changed, it has but it not. was also, <laughs> yeah, it, it's also kind of, um, it, it uh, reflects the philosophy of people who initially designed it, which is yeah. lightweight, lightweight note taking that is collaborative, searchable, and it's, you know, aesthetically pleasing, but it didn't start with sort of like permission space, uh, and, the the information access control, which I really needed at the time. Yeah. So that's the reason why I went to WikiJS <clears throat> because it's easier to uh, block off. Okay, if the if the if the content is under this bucket, 
just don't give access to these people or yeah. vice versa. Or Interesting. Permissioning was a lot more straightforward. Yeah, that's that's a huge problem that we're we're trying to solve yeah. uh, uh, in Notion, and there's a there's a particular way that we're, that we're going to go about it in the next week yeah. or so about specifically because we have a lot of agents who are working all over the world and they come and go. There's a lot of churn, and so like mm -hmm. giving access to these these guys is is a, is a very challenging problem because uh, yeah. it has happened in the past where a motivated bad actor oh, yeah. uh, will 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 take something and run with it, and and uh, um, there's something. Oh well, so. Okay, so yeah, Notion. You made the switch to Notion. What do, What do you think are the core elements of knowledge management? Um, I think core elements of knowledge management is, uh, well, access control, um, yeah. or some sort of permissioning, uh, so that you can discover information that that you should be able to see, uh, but limit only to that. Um, and then two, uh, understanding sort of. I, I'm coming from more of security side, so yeah. maybe this is, you know, less of a knowledge management portion, but more of a access control and management, like audit logs for understanding who accessed it, who edited yeah. it, what was changed. So that that also is on um, easily viewable in something like uh, WikiJS, where it's, it it just runs Git underneath it, so you can yeah. actually do the dip and you can see it. Very similar to Wikipedia in that regard. So that looking at what has changed and how it's changed. And then the third is, I think, um, uh, sort of a indexable, uh, you know, um, auto indexing, if that's even possible. So like something that I haven't seen a lot in knowledge management, and I know like some very like specific, like a high-end B2B solutions does this, is you feed it information and then it would auto categorize and put auto, you know, tags on everything. So it would understand like, you know, how you should be searching for it uh, rather than individually, um, you know, my tagging what it should be searchable by. So like auto detection of context and the topic I think is very useful. Uh, that's actually part of the reason why uh, um, I hired the archivist to say, okay, you as a human should be able to read this and understand where it should belong, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and the last bit is, um, <clears throat> I think it's also like something that, uh, is important, which is uh, transferability. Like, you know, the if I dump the you know bunch of uh, knowledge into one form, one application, one sort of like WikiJS or whatever, it should be able to then like I should be able to extract it and move it into somewhere else, like mm -hmm. as a raw text or or some like indexable form or some like output of text. Meaning like the data, data like it's, this is something I'm sure there's a term for it, but I call it data sovereignty. Like. Yeah. Exporting data from Notion, when we decided to abandon it, we actually lost some info. Like, um, in fact, uh, Notion doesn't give you the full history of changes of the um, our articles. So, which which is um like devastating loss for me because I I'm you know I'm a super autist and I want to keep every single change history, you know, and who said what because it's kind of interesting, you know, it's it is history, right? Yeah. Um, like you know, two hundred years from now, like they'll read about stuff and where they're gonna find it, right? And I'm I'm totally with you on that. Uh, yeah. And I think what you're specifically talking about is the version control, because there is a version control where you can go backwards yeah. in time, yeah. but it doesn't yeah. collect everything, and it, it's per session basically, so it doesn't doesn't yeah. actually get everything. Uh, we're we're trying That's to think right. about, we're trying to think about how to actually maintain that integrity uh, of data, and yeah. then also have it really be portable as well. But again, this comes back to the yeah central philosophy of urbit 
which but it's not there yet. But I really like the idea yeah. of Urbit, which is that data portability and really having strong control yeah. over your own data. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like, it, it kind of does it with images. So there's an app on Urbit that lets you manage like stuff that you put into S3 bucket, like images. Um, but there's no like textual uh, management system. Like for example, yeah. something like an Obsidian would have like, yeah. or, you know, because I actually use Obsidian quite a bit, but it's not a collaborative environment because of complexities involved in tag linking, right? Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, so I mean like, Personally, I actually did experiment with like Zettelcast and you know, note taking thing uh -huh. on Obsidian. I would put, you know, like short notes, like less than 200 words, title, you know, source and all that stuff, like, you know, per, per file. And it actually did a really good job because then I can then just like, you know, navigate through this like web of knowledge, right? Um, and, and be concise in describing what they are. And, um, but like problem is, you know, at the time, <laughs> there was no Obsidian, you know, multiplayer or, or collaborative environment. And maybe it is now. I don't. I haven't checked in a while. Um, but um, I think something like Obsidian or um, there was other one. I, I forget. It was a big, big uh, hype about it. I forget the other one. Um, something like Obsidian, um, like really captures the need because it's you know it's you know aesthetically pleasing. Number one, <laughs> it's searchable. Uh, it auto indexes, and you can tag by topic just by putting some like, you know, um, brackets, right? Uh, so like you can do a bi-directional tagging. It really like helps quite a bit in terms of like how they relate it. But what Obsidian does not do is access control between yeah. the uh, between the topics um, or, or the, uh, the documents. So like, they're, they're, you know, some things, you know, like Obsidian is like infinite discoverability <laughs> and uh, then, you know, file-based thing is like, you know, no discoverability, like no indexing, right? Yeah. So there's something in between where it bridges that gap would be really nice, but I haven't found any. I don't think people really are thinking about it heavily. Maybe like lawyers, like when they yeah, use... Lawyer, yeah. um, lawyers talk a lot about yeah. knowledge management. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, um, I haven't seen like, you know, comprehensive solution yet. Yeah, interesting. And we might we might try to do that solution or just tie together all the different solutions in order to do organization. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can't really... Uh, talk too much about it yet because uh, but uh, but uh, course, yeah. uh, but I would love to talk to you uh, personally afterwards uh, and uh, so yeah. um, I would love to hear more if you can talk about it the event that you're running in in Wyoming later can you talk more about that Um, difficulty second. Hello, still there? Yeah, still here. Oh, okay, great. Uh, yeah, I maybe it was a hiccup on my end. Yeah. Oh, okay. So would you mind asking the last question again? Sure. Uh, so I would love to hear more. If you can talk about it, I would love to hear more about the event that you have going on soon. Yeah, of course. Um, so Tassen hosted a Urbit technology conference last year called Reassembly. So, it, you know, like Urbit, you know, Foundation and Talon, they host a conference called Assembly. It's really great. You know, people should go there. Uh, but I figured, okay, maybe something smaller focused on developers. 
and we held it last year. Everybody loved it. Um, you know, Tassin has an office building here. You know, it's it's a nice building that was built in the 1920s. Uh, and so it's got a it's got a character to it. And um, we held the event and we hosted many developers from like core development team from Urbit, as well as people who are building applications. And yeah, I'm, I really liked it. You know, that's like one of my guilty pleasures. So we're hosting a, <laughs> uh, hosting uh, reassembly 2023 um, in, in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, and uh, I, I hope uh, your, your listeners can visit as well um, or viewers. And uh, yeah, it's going to be in August uh, 16th or 18th. That's awesome. I might be in Brazil, but if I'm not in Brazil, then I would love to come to Wyoming for that. Um, and uh, why, yeah. why are you? Why did you build a company in Wyoming? Is it is it related to crypto? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it, when I first heard about it was when, um, you know, <clears throat> Kevin Long, who's sort of like a pioneer in, uh, you know, bridging the tech and the uh, regulation side. Uh, you know, she really pushed the Wyoming, uh, Wyoming legislature to pass very crypto-friendly laws. Like, for example, thing like a uh, Wyoming DAO law, which uh, automatically classifies uh, DAO as an LLC if you register as well, because uh, there, there's a tendency for um, jurisdictions to treat DAO as a general partnership, which uh, means that also the members of the DAO have unlimited liability oh, right um, so so what the Wyoming Dow law and the legal innovation is to say well they're just members of LLC just like uh, any other limited liability company which protects the you know um, Dow members quite a bit and which you know creates sort of like legal certainty as to how they're going to be treated if they uh, incorporate their um, entity in uh, Wyoming so that was one of the like legal innovation that they did. I thought that was very clever. And then there were just numbers of other like regulations that were passed that were very crypto friendly. But like, you know, I wish like uh, more companies did this where, you know, like now that remote work is a thing and people can push code from anywhere, they should really locate in jurisdictions that are most amenable to them. Um, and, uh, I mean, you yourself, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm very envious of, uh, your, your homestead and, uh, I, you know, perhaps one day I can do that, but, uh, well, yeah, well, it's super interesting cause yeah. I'm, I chose to do the homestead in a very interesting place, which is California. And, yeah. uh, and now it's like, uh, uh, totally the government is like collapsing. It almost seems like the, the, oh, so my, yeah. my, uh, my the crazy fires which were artificially yeah. suppressed a lot of people say that the fires yeah. are due to global warming that may be true but uh but uh, it's much more likely that it's uh artificial fire suppression yeah. for the past 60 yeah. to 70 years i think wyoming probably has the same problem and mm -hmm. uh so the whole place is like a tinderbox ready to go and so the whole insurance model is absolutely breaking at the moment that's nuts that yeah, is nuts yeah they're leaving california my insurance just dropped me i made a claim uh, they had no liability to to, or they had no in our contract. They had no responsibility to tell me whether what was happening. So they had somebody visit last August, found my property to be not up to code, had made the decision to drop me after charging me five hundred dollars more a month for my last term. You know, uh, you, you know what's nuts? Yeah, what, that, go for it. you know what's nuts is that these companies and like jurisdictions know that. There's no home, there's no property, no residential unit that is 100% up to code at any given time. They know this. And it's so annoying, but yeah. whatever. I'm sorry for 
no it's true and that's that's the whole thing is that we've got yeah. this strange system and it's and it's in the more i the more i get yeah. beaten by it i realize that it's kind of like a decentralized ponzi scheme yeah. and you know crypto people talk about decentralization but yeah. in reality our system the whole global system is already decentralized but towards oh, yeah. the towards the like uh kafka-esque uh strange bureaucratic loops that we get stuck yeah. in which i've been stuck in a lot recently yeah uh, it, it, it is yeah, so sad right yeah. it's like uh if you go to some other place on earth they just outright just ask for bribe right yeah, and then exactly. you pay and then like at least the interaction is very clear I mean, i'm not advocating for it but i'm yeah. saying that it's still bad but at least you know what they expect but in this kind of system you have no idea what they want <laughs> you know how do how do i just get out of it right um yeah but that was actually another part of the reason why i moved to wyoming is that you know i used to live in the bay area um for many years and i used to commute to san francisco and barcadero and i'm like why are people putting up with this nonsense yeah. <laughs> you know and uh ended up just you know gotten sick and tired of it and left and um you know haven't looked back since i mean it's a it's a beautiful state you know california but there are other beautiful states out there too <laughs> and uh, wyoming is one of them um, and corporate tax is zero, uh, at least state, state level, and the income tax is zero. So I'm like, okay, yeah, no brainer. Uh, interesting. I'm thinking about moving to South Dakota because uh, I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna spend less and less time in California. I'll keep my place, but I'll I'll spend less and less time yeah. in California. And I was thinking about going to spend establishing state residency in South Dakota because you just have yeah. to go for for 24 hours and then you get the state residency. South, and, South Dakota is amazing place i mean it's hmm. also it, it was a, a other place i considered yeah. <laughs> other state that i considered. yeah how is their crypto is there any crypto going on there are they thinking like wyoming um they're a bit later because um so south dakota many you know, a few decades ago they were very successful in innovating you know uh, banking related hmm. uh regulations locally as well as like credit cards side of things so a lot of the companies that does credit card processing and customer support that located there now. Um, so they were very successful in that regard, but I don't think they were looking at crypto in particular. Um, but, you know, uh, now they're catching up. Uh, I mean, they had plenty of like, you know, uh, case studies out there that they can look at different, you know, states with their regulations. So I think they're catching up very quickly. Um, and, and it's also just a fantastic place to live. I mean, uh, <laughs> the quality of life there is great. But it's pretty good in in Cheyenne as well, right? Why well, why did you choose Cheyenne over another place? Um, so <laughs> to get to get into the nitty gritty <laughs> details of where why I located, and I love talking about it. By the way, yeah. is that I looked at a couple of places. So wherever I go, it has to be close to some sort of airport. Um, because I'm in the middle of a country, literally in the middle of the country. Um, and Cheyenne is only hour and 30 minutes from Denver International. I, they got some weird stuff going on in Denver, but I don't have to live there. Yeah. <laughs> so which is good. Um, and then I we looked at other places like uh, Evanston. It's it's kind of on the west, Wyoming. It's close to um, uh, Salt Lake City, mm. uh, another like 90 minute drive. Mm. Uh, but then I looked at like internet infrastructure, like what it what's there, right? Um, it turns out that Cheyenne... Uh, there is a there are two um, uh, internet backbones that go through it. One mm. is the L3 network backbone, and then the second is the Sprint network backbone, which mm. now is a uh, uh, T-Mobile. So mm. we get uh, fiber op, you know, fiber internet here, uh, very fast, very reasonable cost. Mm. Um, and I think that's like what a lot of people don't realize is that 
this is a state capital. Uh, we have the one of the fastest internets in the country. And uh, people always ask, like, do you still have like people riding horses, <laughs> like, you know, uh, tumbleweeds going around? And I'm like, you know, you gotta really visit and I can tell you, you know, all the things about it, show you. Are there, things. are there horses and tumbleweeds? Sometimes <laughs> that's not a primary uh, mode of transportation, I, but I do see, uh, you know, like the trailers with horses and things like that. There are a lot of ranchers here. Uh, great people. Um, uh, no, no one who does like a, has a, a small ranch and a, um, a wheat farm and learned a lot about like actually hogs <laughs> because he also has a, a couple, couple, uh, couple of hogs. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Uh, so let's go into uh, Tassin specifically and crypto and decentralized exchanges. Uh, I'll just throw a random problem I'm I'm trying to figure out is that I want to go to Brazil and Argentina. Um, and I, I'm realizing that the bank fees that I get charged when I go to the ATM, I pull out of money, I get, I'm, I'm probably getting screwed on those. And I'm, yeah. I'm wondering whether crypto has a solution. It's probably not a solution because it's, if I, if I do stable coins, if I get stable coins on yeah. a hardware wallet, go there. Like, am I st I'm probably going to still get get a screwed transaction? Yeah. So I I was actually in uh, Floripa, uh, mm. Florida, Florianapolis, which is uh, um, like a couple hours southwest of uh, Sao Paulo. It's a it's a beautiful, beautiful place. It's called Magic Island mm. uh, and there's a crypto scene and everything. Mm. So definitely please visit there. Mm. But um, um, uh, now, like what I learned you know, because I, we, we actually have Brazilian team members. Mm. Uh, and what I learned from them is that they actually use um, this app. I, I, I forget what it's called. It's like uh, a mobile Pix. app, but it's like a mobile. Yeah. Pix. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And um, they seem to be fine with it. Like it's like a PayPal except it works, you know, or something, you know, and everybody seems to be pretty well adjusted to it. So I, I and I find it hard to kind of reconcile the fact between payment system that works and uh, integrates with banking uh, mm. versus crypto, because like yeah. they already have like main problem for most people is how do I pay this guy who is giving me, you know, uh, yeah. some, some food. Right. Yeah. So like they're going to have like crypto stuff or anything like that set up. So I think that's like a big, biggest challenge there. Um, other part is like, so Argentina crypto is big because like hyperinflation. So at least there's some like, incentive to do like a uh, store value or focus on that. Um, and then El Salvador, there's an incentive because, you know, de-dollarization, right? So they're kind of like hedging the bet. But for Brazil, it's it's tough because inflation is as high as one, well, you know, as, you know, as like Argentina. Um, and then they're not as tied to the dollar uh, as uh, El Salvador. So that's just, they're just kind of in the stable middle ground. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if I were to send, you know, um, remittances overseas or transfer money, yeah, it would be a fraction of what it is. But then, then you would have to then like find the crypto ATM or something, which probably charges more on just like yeah, <laughs> taking it's the money not out. A solution. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting to think about Brazil uh, in the sense that they're the one of the few countries in Latin America who's who's actually being really uh, austere, more austere. In yeah. terms of their in terms of their preventing inflation, um, which is good yeah, for yeah. Brazil, uh, uh, but also there's going to be huge problems. But yeah, as you as you mm -hmm. mentioned, Pix is like probably the first functioning CBDC because it's totally a government yep. a government thing through yep. a uh, non governmental. And there and there's talks about Argentina coming into the Pix system, so they're going to have multiple countries on oh, yeah. one on one CBDC. 
Uh, so it's going to be interesting to, to follow that. But I think I think you're right that it's yeah. like uh, it's it's it, it doesn't it's probably not going to make sense. And I got to figure out. But maybe I could just do a transfer two picks uh, uh, to, to yep. actually figure out how to how to get around all the crazy fees. Yep. I, 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 I do think, though, that like Brazil, like at, at least like, you know, unrelated note, like it suffers from other problem, too. Like, um, for example, I wanted to hire some people there, mm. but their like tax burden is so high that like it was 86 percent tax burden. What that means is if I were to pay someone, you know, hundred dollars or whatever, you know, well, ten thousand dollars, I have to pay eight thousand six hundred dollars more to their government to hire this person who's only going to get paid ten thousand. Interesting. <laughs> Is there any way to hire them as like American workers inside of Brazil? Um, so they have this like micro entrepreneur um, type of designation, very similar to LLC, but there's a limitation on how much this micro entrepreneur can earn before falling into the normal taxation regime. Uh, um, so it's uh, so meaning like a, it's like a legalized, like it's like a um, um, LLC, but person, right? So it's like one person LLC. Uh, their versions of it i forget what it's called <laughs> my apologies um but yeah they have something like that so they, they tried something where it sort of works where you know foreign companies can pay and then and the capital flows in over there right like i'm actually paying these guys mm. and uh but there's a real like challenge where if i wanted to hire like a software engineer uh then almost like half of their you know total pay that i'm paying them goes to somewhere else uh, as opposed to like, I I want to pay them more, yeah. but I can't. Yep. <laughs> you know, interesting. Um, I, so I've, it, been, I've been thinking yeah. about hiring a team in Brazil. Um. Uh. But what you just said makes me think that I should go to Argentina because Argentina is great. Because you. Well, we, yeah. Go for it. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I mean that that's not to say like I don't want to discourage you because Brazilians uh -huh. are actually very very like you know great to work with like and and. If you can find the right people, they're also very hardworking, especially the types that already know about these sort of like, Perhaps, yeah. you know, one person LLC kind of designation. They're already on, you know, entrepreneurial and they'll, they'll like, you know, go above and beyond. They're great people to work with. Yeah, totally. um, but it's just like, you, you kind of have to like find these people <laughs> yeah. that, that are willing to do this arrangement uh, because they need to file this thing to their uh, government. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. But uh, uh, in in terms of Argentina, uh, we can we we figured out our companies figured out how to pay um, using stable coins, and Argentinians love yeah. the the stable coins because then they can transfer it for the black market rate. So uh, it's really interesting. Well, to... I mean, I mean, I mean, theoretically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing that specifically. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I, I no, I mean, I I think like the cases where you have, you know runaway inflation for decades in Argentina, they've sort of figured out a kind of stable system to work with. I, I feel like, you know, if it were 200% annually for the last 20 years, and it, it must be unlivable, right? But it's clearly people still live there. And there's no like, why? I mean, there's unrest, but it's not like, they're not ready to like storm the gates of whatever National Assembly or whatever they have. Right? Yeah. So like, they must figure out some sort of meta stable thing where like they're using dollars for the most things and then prices is mostly in dollars. It doesn't matter if the price goes up or their native currency or something like that. I, I've never been to Argentina, so I don't really know, but I figured that's some that's sort of the solution they you know they like 
fell into um that's that's how i'm thinking about it mm. um so let's talk about like maybe even philosophy or where the world is headed or what you're yeah. why you're interested in crypto why you're interested in urbit do you have any thoughts mm -hmm. about the state of the world at the moment oh yeah um so i think you know and, and i say this with like just you know utmost caution because I know people are going to just hear one part of it and say like one thing or the other, but I don't really care. I mean, I run my own company. I, I'm not really like, you know, beholden to investors or anything like that right now. So um, I think the social changes since 1970s have, we're still feeling the aftershock of it. Um, there are people who have grown up like very idealistically who has entered into this like labyrinth and bureaucracy that has become in uh, not jaded but they are applying sort of like um, lessons that they learn from when they were powerless onto everybody else and that's i think um a lot of what we're feeling now like for example um just enormous changes in the labor laws what is you know what needs to be done by the companies what can the companies do what can banks you know do in terms of like being the enforcer of the government will, so to speak. A lot of these things, I think, are born out of those um, cultural like shockwaves from 70s. Um, and even, even, you know, from uh, which also contributed you know, the extension of the money supply. So I, I think we're, uh, you know, the, the connection is stable. Okay. Yeah. So such as say, you know, um, anyone else on the left. But I think like, uh, all, what's also interesting is <clears throat> we're also at a point where like, uh, Technology is driving a lot of, uh, like, you know, we've heard about all the AI stuff. Uh, just people are just incredibly fear, for example, um, you know, certain, certain like technological shock, like, for example, birth control, like change the course of, like, <laughs> you know, birth rate across the world, right? Um, and the attitude towards sex has changed. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I give you full permissions, just use it as well. I mean, I think that those kind of like things were just unplanned for, right? right? Like as a human being, um, you, you're not supposed to take that many pills in the first place or whatever it is. Um, you know, we take pills for depression. We, you know, we get medicated, like, you know, through whatever it is, external sources. Right? And so like, I think you know, a lot of those things have, consequences that we're just beginning to feel like for example well why are the birth rates so low right like why are they just crashing all across the world <laughs> i mean there's a reason for it um and and then also like sort of like changing attitude towards um personal rights as these things develop like as the technology develops we're seeing sort of like expansion of personal right at the cost of sort of like um what the person should consider what the impact of their action is on the, you know, surrounding them, right? Which, again, also like contributes to further atomization, 
um, families no longer form, like now everybody is their own person instead of like part of the family. I I I look at, I, I look at all of these with some degree of sadness because you know um I am my parents' son and I you know learned a lot from their actions and I feel that nowadays the parents have less and less role um because of sort of like the you know uh now the the third way of technology shock which is the internet and like I, I say it, you know, in a in a good spirit and maybe a little bit more cynical than I meant to, is that internet is this like giant unhappiness machine that just spews out things that you would never be able to obtain. <laughs> uh, or you would, you know, just look at it with rage, right? Like it's like a rage machine. Like it's a happy, it's a unhappiness machine, it's a rage machine. And it just induces such a noise to the life. I mean, like stuff like what what we're doing. That's what when the internet is it is is at its finest, right? Like you're, you know, hundreds if not thousand plus miles away. I mean, we wouldn't be able to do this. Like video conferencing, like what are you kidding me? <laughs> that was impossible. Uh 1950s, right? But at the same time, it's this like you know, town hall of mass communication uh gone awry where everybody, every individual has access to every other individual, whether the other person wants to hear anything or not. Um as a real consequence in people's psyche, I feel like, I mean, people just become very like callous. Like I, I see it on Twitter, like just for shock value, people say stupid stuff or they're just rude to other people for no, re no good reason. Um, and it just like, just level of cruelty, I think has gone up <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a function of it. And it's more visible too. Cause like, as yeah. you said on Twitter, it's just like, I'm sure there were really unhappy people beforehand uh, but they didn't have really a microphone they'd have to go yeah. into the center of the town or write an angler angry article but then the editors yeah. would just kind of like ignore them and stuff like that and so there's no more guardrails and so we actually see all of the different edge cases of humanity which sometimes aren't that much edge cases sometimes the edge case is the actual like high integrity person uh, who gets shouted down on twitter yeah yeah i, I mean it's it's like um it it it's a double-edged sword because it it provides a venue for um hyper you know empowerment of individual mm. with you know who and and that individual could be good or bad right like we really don't know but they certainly have the tool for it right so mm. i mean like for example spreading you know terrorist agenda through internet right like uh <laughs> uh or whatever it is that's a, as an example right um at, or alternatively like we also then have like massive learning environment where like one person can reach you know thousand students. I mean, there there's some positive and negative aspect of it, but maybe I'm very cynical. But I I mostly view this as negative because it takes away, um, sort of like locality of like you know education away like that mm -hmm. in the one hand, and then it expands the message and gives platform for most obnoxious like power hungry people out there, and you know. Yeah. And, and um like you can kind of see that on twitter it's like uh you know like people with above like again i generalize <laughs> so um if you know people i'm sure they're whatever right but if you if you look at people with over like hundred thousand followers in terms of like spreading information it gets to them like it takes an enormous amount of self-degree control in my view to be able to like be humble about it but these people with 
millions of followers, they'll do stupid stuff and or they'll 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 think that they're gods among men because they have you know number one million number on Twitter or something like that. So that and yeah, I think that, it damages uh psychology. Yeah. Oh no, please. That uh that issue I think you just is gonna run into we're gonna run into quite a bit is the men becoming gods or men thinking that they're becoming gods with all this access to this yeah. new technology and power. It's like it's gonna be a real problem yeah. for a lot of people, I think. Right. And and then just uh, dis destroying things for fun, right? Like for example, once they have once they're em empowered as such, like they have access to all these AI, create all these deep fakes. You know, they can just go nuts with it and so chaos just for fun, right? They might ask their, you know, followers, hey, what should I do next? <laughs> you know, this guy, you know, I don't like him. <laughs> and the same thing the banks are doing, right? Which is preventing people access to the accounts because some account manager, you know, didn't like the fact that you, you know, supported like something versus the other thing, right? Yeah. yeah yeah and then so like you give these like either the bureaucrats with enormous control of power or these like super empowered individuals with most enormous control of like you know voice and like now like people like me i'm just like stuck between the middle yeah <laughs> you know yeah i'm just yeah, trying to survive this in in wyoming stuck yeah. in the middle yeah. yeah literally i had to i had to <laughs> had to travel the middle of the country i mean it is lovely here but you know <laughs> Is there is there a startup scene in Wyoming? Are you are you meeting other intellectually curious people? Are moving people moving? Yeah, I mean, so Cheyenne is a small city. I I have to I have to be honest. Uh, it's a sixty six thousand people city, which most people would consider a large town nowadays. Uh, but uh, there is a tech startup scene that you know there's a uh, sort of like an incubator kind of thing where, and then there's another one where um, it's like a um, um, you know, like offshoring kind of like, you know, like temp, temp work connection kind of thing for the tech startups. Uh, there's another company that, that's in blockchain space. Uh, there are a few companies that are in blockchain space, of course, uh, but they're surprisingly large number, you know, compared to like per capita, there's a su surprisingly large number of tech startups, but it's just that unlike say Silicon Valley Bay area, where like everybody and anybody is always willing to network. They just yeah. go to meetups just because like, you know. Yeah, so some tech startups are here. Uh, there's uh, Laramie, which is, uh, you know, 40 minutes west. It's kind of college town. Also has some tech startups there. There's an incubator for uh, tech companies there too. So there is some like um, support and interest in the state to like uh, diversify the economy away from, from you know, um, one source of uh, income, which is mostly uh, fossil fuel, which uh, I think is great. I mean, like they're doing a lot of explorations here, whatever. That's just pers my personal view. Uh, uh, but like also like half of the Wyoming's land is uh, controlled by Department of Interior, mm. so, which means uh, they give exploration rights uh, for the, fo the fossil fuel exploration. So the revenue is always somewhat controlled by the federal federal government. Wow uh that's interesting uh you're frozen not sure if you're still there yeah uh um well let's uh let's wrap it up so can uh can you uh mention one more time uh about the event yeah. coming up in at reassembly in to 18 we're finalizing the speakers 
developers who are urban developers developing really interesting technology on top of it uh, that you know only platforms like urban enables so i hope you know uh people who are just even remotely interested in it you know drop by and see the city see the event and talk to the developers um and i think maybe something else that they'll they'll be able to do is you know we'll also um um you know so uh you know if you missed it you you couldn't come to wyoming it's okay um but uh yeah so we'll we'll have some people from uh, urban foundation uh we'll have some people from uh different companies that are building on top like ukbar terrell uh holium and a few others like you know the the famous uh famous companies um and uh, you know uh there's gonna be free free food and some drinks <laughs> <laughs> and so i think it's gonna be good yeah very cool well thank you so much for coming on the show yeah and okay well uh, it was it was a pleasure to be on on the show thanks again for inviting i'm sorry for some connection related issues thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed this episode as always you can find me on twitter at stuart alsop iii also don't forget to subscribe on spotify or itunes for every weekly episode that i publish on monday mornings hope you have a great day